systems are offline. You're listening to Sky Sauce Podcast Network. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hello and welcome to Skywires, the films that changed our lives. This podcast is all about highlighting films that have made an impact on our lives and that have inspired us both in front of and behind the camera. Each episode, either myself or my co-host Monroe Hayden will focus on one film that has impacted us and discuss its significance. I'm Daniel Andrade. Let's get started. When Monroe first told me about the idea for this podcast, there was one movie that both of us knew was definitely going to make an appearance. A movie that we have seen together at least five times, (laughs) and on our own, probably hundreds more. A film so tied to our friendship that Monroe gave me gifts based on this movie for my most recent birthday. That movie is the iconic 1993 Steven Spielberg classic, Jurassic Park. This film is not just beloved by Monroe and me but my millions of people around the world. It's such an important film that it was added to the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, end quote, and was added as the number one public vote getter. At one point, Jurassic Park was the most financially successful film of all time, grossing over $912 million worldwide in its original theatrical run. But that title was soon taken afterward by Titanic, (laughs) which is fascinating since director James Cameron was one of the many directors that was interested in making this film before it was immediately snagged by Spielberg. In fact, Spielberg acquired the rights to the film before the novel was even written. It's true. While working together on what would become the hit show ER, author Michael Crichton told Spielberg about the idea for the novel And shortly thereafter, Spielberg teamed up with Universal to buy the rights for the story in May of 1990. Under Spielberg's masterful direction, and with the use of incredible animatronics, or should I say, auto-erotica, as well as innovative computer-generated imagery, a world previously thought extinct was magically brought back to life. One of the things that makes Jurassic Park such a memorable movie is its captivating and relatable characters. Sam Neill plays the gruff but passionate paleontologist Dr. Alan Grant, accompanied by the intelligent and dedicated paleobotanist Dr. Ellie Sattler, played wonderfully by Laura Dern. They are working on uncovering fossils when they are suddenly interrupted by the quirky and eccentric John Hammond, an industrialist and CEO of a bioengineering company called InGen, played brilliantly by Richard Attenborough who came back to acting after a 15-year hiatus thanks to the, quote, charm of the devil of Spielberg. Hammond offers to fully fund their research in exchange for them approving his newest theme park. They are joined by the kooky yet logical mathematician specializing in chaos theory, Dr. Ian Malcolm, played iconically by Jeff Goldblum. It's hard to imagine anyone else playing these roles, but at one point there was talk of Harrison Ford, Robin Wright, 
Sean Connery, and even Jim Carrey taking on these respective characters. Anyway, the crew soon discovers what makes this park so remarkable. Through some complex and creative genetic engineering using Dino DNA from mosquitoes fossilized in amber, Hammond and his team have been able to bring dinosaurs back to life. As they explore the park with Hammond's grandchildren, an aspiring hacker named Lex, and her little brother and dinosaur enthusiast Tim, they soon run into trouble. This is due to the bumbling negligence and greed of computer programmer Dennis Nedry, played perfectly by Wayne Knight, who accepted a bribe from a competing bioengineering company to steal embryos from Jurassic Park to give to them. In order to pull off this heist, Nedry has to shut down the security systems, including the electrified fences keeping the dinosaurs contained. What follows is one of the most exciting and nail-biting adventures that has ever graced the silver screen, and what made it an iconic film that would develop over the next 25 years into a billion-dollar franchise. So now that we know the basics, why did I choose to talk about this film? Well, like many kids, I grew up obsessed with dinosaurs. One of the first shows I watched as a child, next to Sesame Street, of course, was Barney, the big purple dinosaur that assured me I was loved. In elementary school, I may not have memorized my multiplication tables, but I could certainly tell you all about the literally boneheaded Pachycephalosaurus, the Thunder Lizard Brontosaurus, or my favorite, the Flying Pterodactyl. I've owned more dinosaur toys than I care to admit, but the one that I took with me everywhere was a little plastic pterodactyl named Petrie, named after a character from one of my other favorite dinosaur movies, The Land Before Time. Petrie would fly with me all over the backyard and would never leave my side. I had countless books about dinosaurs and even had dinosaur wallpaper. So suffice to say, when I first saw the trailer for Jurassic Park, I was both shocked and mesmerized. These were not the lovable little dinosaurs I had known from my animated encounters with them. These were the real deal, the ones from all my books come to life. I had to see this film. Of course, when it first came out, I was only six years old, so there was some understandable hesitancy from my parents, as this would be one of the first scary movies I would watch. But as it turned out, the movie had quite the opposite effect on me. I'll never forget my first time seeing that iconic Brachiosaurus jumping up on its hind legs to get a bite out of a tree accompanied by the soaring and epic theme. I had the same expression as Dr. Grant, bewilderment, awe, and adoration. I watched anxiously between my fingers when the T-Rex made her historic debut and shook my theater seat with her deafening roar. I was on the edge of my seat while the raptors toyed with Lex and Tim in the kitchen. It's truly a testament to the power of this movie that I remembered those dinosaur scenes so vividly when out of the entire two-hour runtime of that film, there are only 15 minutes that have dinosaurs in them. Six of those minutes for the CGI dinosaurs, the other nine for the lifelike animatronic puppets. But yes, after seeing the movie, my dinosaur obsession only grew. I luckily had a similar group of nerdy friends who loved the movie and pretended to be dinosaurs, most often raptors, uh, during recess with me. <laughs> I've owned numerous <laughs> items with that fantastic logo on it. I bought multiple versions of the original film, and I've seen each film in the soon-to-be six-movie franchise more than once, 
I still sing or hum the two main themes frequently to this day. And as recently as last year, I even bought a Lego set of the Gate for the Park and Rexy herself that I proudly display in my room. We talked last episode about how I didn't appreciate a lot of Titanic as a kid that I now do as an adult. The same can be said about this film. When I was younger, I couldn't appreciate the deeper messages being conveyed in this film that I think are so powerful and still so relevant today. The dinner conversation, for example, where Hammond is being critiqued for relying on science to do the unthinkable and for not considering the consequences of his actions, is striking and something that is hinted at numerous times before this very scene. This theme of the dangers of over-reliance on technology, often at the expense of human-skilled labor, has been addressed by countless films since Jurassic Park, and in each of those movies, humanity reaches the brink of extinction itself. This can even be applied to the filming of this movie. Spielberg had some of the best special effects people on board for this film, people that had worked on other iconic films like Star Wars, The Terminator, Indiana Jones, and E.T. When the live-action effects team saw how much more impressed Spielberg was with the CGI effects, one of the team members said, I think I'm extinct, a line that was later incorporated into the movie by Dr. Malcolm. But anyway, as science and technology continue to grow and evolve at a breakneck pace, I can't help but think of that dinner conversation and be a little wary. In conclusion, I think it's safe to say that this movie was the solidification of my nerdiness and defined my childhood. It made me interested in science and paleontology, heightened my curiosity about all things prehistoric, and taught me a few basic lessons that have stuck with me. When it comes to your dreams, spare no expense to ensure they become a reality. When things look bleak, remember that life uh, finds a way. Just because you can do something doesn't always mean you should. And of course, never call an acid-spitting dinosaur stupid. So... Uh, now I'd like to open it up and and get your thoughts on the movie first, uh, Monroe. What you what you think uh, rewatching this movie for the probably millionth time? <laughs> I was actually pretty um, trepidatious about this because <laughs> you and I we've talked about this movie to death way too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. I mean, I, yeah. I've, I've to say that I've seen it a lot is probably an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Um. I still love it. It's still it's still oh, yeah. really um still really important mm-hmm. to me and obviously to a lot of people. Yeah. But um I think like what I took from it recently from our last uh our last talk was that a lot of these people, I guess you can even say it it happened on Titanic as well, but a lot of these mm-hmm. people in this film have this mentality of nothing bad will happen to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it happens to other people, but never me. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Maybe I noticed that a little bit more like today than I would have earlier because of everything that we're going through with this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's always that mentality of like certain people, a lot of people out there is like, yeah, I know the, the virus is real, but it's not going to, I'm not going to get it. Uh, yeah. And you yeah. hear it all the time. Like They don't say I won't get it. They just say, yeah, I know the virus is real. It's not a hoax. But, you know, mm. dot, dot, mm-hmm. dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's what I took from it with this, uh, this most recent time around. But, I mean, mm. 
I I really like just it's so hard to name one thing. Um <laughs> yeah. The pacing of it I think is really really good. Mhm. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't drag like a lot Not of at all. a lot of films tend to do. Um, yeah. Especially when something like this cuz in the beginning I've heard some people say like, "Oh, it's like so boring in the beginning." <laughs> uh-huh. But I thought it was paced pretty well. Like, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, uh, I'm always surprised when I reread that little trivia fact or remember that fact that only 15 minutes of dinosaurs are seen the entire movie. But it feels like so much more because when they do make an appearance, it's so big. But that goes hand in hand with the pacing. Like, we see them when we need to see them. And other times we're hinted at it. And the hints alone are just very powerful and i think that goes back to also the dinner conversation too where there's hints of like oh yeah like dr hammond says like this is fine like uh we don't have to worry about it like we're gonna be okay so there's so many hints that lead up to that final point where it's like he has to confront them and they're like yeah like what you're doing is crazy (laughs) um so yeah i agree i think the the pacing is is done very well in a fact in a way that kind of keeps you engaged throughout the whole thing so it kind of hits all the right marks that it needs to I think we might be figuring out the formula to making a culturally hit <laughs> film because, I mean, Titanic yeah. and Jurassic Park have very similar things with the whole mentality, or, or I guess it's more like a denial as a coping mm-hmm. mechanism. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. This ship can't sink. You know, <laughs> they, and the yeah. both people in charge are getting these warning signs and sometimes even actual warnings like, no, you, this isn't a good idea. You should mm-hmm. probably not do that. And just yeah. kind of like putting off to the side and stuff like that. But also, both movies were able to draw in a lot of crowds. Yes, yes. Like, uh, like you said, it was the at the time it was the the highest grossing film of all time uh, at mm-hmm, its time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Before also, your Titanic came along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these two movies were also the first two movies that used the face replacement in um, special effects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the first one, for those who are listening, the first one was Jurassic Park when um, Lex, she, her stunt double fell through, a, what is it called? Like a, a part of the ceiling. Like a grate or something, a ceiling grate? Yeah. And her her stunt double accidentally looks up towards the camera, but the take was so good that they had to replace her face with the actress's face um, mm-hmm. in post. And in a Titanic, yeah. um, they did it with Jack and Rose when they were running down like some hallway and on E deck when they were trapped. It's like yeah. the part where after they tried to save the kid and then the mm-hmm. like a whole wave of water comes and <clears throat> they're just running down the down the hallway. Yeah. So those were the two first first things. But also the visual effects hold up. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it I mean, there are like questionable parts in Titanic, just like there are in Jurassic Park. But overall, Mm -hmm. these are the two films that are on those lists of of visual effects that that last. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say, I know that this film also was kind of like um, an innovator, like I said, in CGI, because it was kind of using CGI to make some of the animatronics more realistic and to make the movements seem more fluid. Um, so it's kind of like almost like a bridge, I would say, between 
um, going full CGI and just relying fully on puppets. So, so I think that was kind of interesting too, and kind of leads to one of the reasons why, at least in Jurassic Park, the effects hold up so well is because they were still kind of in that in that limbo, that gray area. So. I mean, that's a good point, because Titanic is the same thing. It was a mix mm-hmm. between visual or CGI and models. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the reason why they kind of hold up is because you're using elements of, of realism, like a real thing. There's a real puppet out yeah. there. There's a real uh, model of a ship. And then you're just, yeah. you know, finessing it with CGI. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. stuff like today, like I can name any Marvel movie, is just <laughs> saturated with CGI. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not that not to say that I don't like Marvel movies. I do. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking any crap about them. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, it's not enough excuse me. It's not an offense to say that there's a ton of CGI in those films. Mm-hmm. But to to further go along with uh, both these films, like they also have their crowds of haters. Oh, I know. I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But it's not like like they've seen the film. They're just like hating on on seeing it they take so much pride in not seeing it because it was such a big deal back then they're like yeah. no i'm not gonna watch yeah. this film i you know and stuff like that it's like yeah i know there is a group that did not see jurassic park because it was too scary or whatever mm-hmm. or titanic they were too young but there's mm-hmm. still a group of people out there who were like no nah, I, I had no interest in seeing the film because mm-hmm. everybody was talking about it yeah yeah like, too cool for it too cool yeah <laughs> Yeah. Do you think, like, kind of speaking again to those effects, because both of these movies were very groundbreaking with their effects, I I think it's very interesting when you consider, like, some of our, like, younger nieces and nephews or some of our younger friends who who kind of grew up in a world that was, like, CGI was the go-to. Like, they don't even know about, really, um, the puppeteering or, or how that came into effect. Like, like they've been kind of... um. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They um, they just become used to it. Like it's just something that that they expect in a movie now. Like, what do you think about about that? About those people who who are used to a lot of CGI. Yeah. And seeing Jurassic Park for the first time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're probably like, I don't I mean I don't know what to think about them. I think it's <laughs> thanks for watching a, a great film. <laughs> I didn't even make the film, but thanks for watching it because it means so much to me. Um, yeah. But I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that they're. I don't know. I don't know how to yeah. answer that question. Sorry. What do you yeah. think about it? That's a, that's important. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like it must be mind blowing. I think because, like, when it comes to the lifelike animatronics, you can see like there's no um, glimmer or glisten that you often associate with the CGI. So I would imagine, like, especially if you're a young kid, like, maybe it makes you believe that dinosaurs really did exist back then. <laughs> it's like such an old movie to them anyway that maybe they're like, maybe there's a few dinosaurs still left. Um, but I think it's just... Um, I think we're very fortunate that we got to... that you and I got to grow up in a time where... Um, people were very creative in how they did their effects and it kind of led to these moments that, that are very unforgettable. You know, we're going to talk about some other films later that have some other very 
interesting effects that same thing that combine like the real and the the computer generated so <clears throat> i just think we're very fortunate i guess and um i hope that other people younger people that have never seen that when they see they can respect the amount of time and the amount of work that went into creating that because it's just so crazy like i was reading in my research for this film that you know a lot of the things that we saw in the movie like not only are the animatronics real but the reactions are real because these animatronics <laughs> didn't work as they were planned to <laughs> so like for example the the scene where the dinosaur head breaks through the ceiling of the car like that wasn't supposed to happen it was supposed to like tap the glass or something and that still should have been scary enough. But the fact that it broke through the glass with these poor kids, like those screams are real. Those <laughs> screams are legitimate. So I think that's just wild that um, that we were able to catch some of that stuff. on film. I know for a fact that we're going to talk about that again in one of your upcoming films. So I'll, I'll, save, I'll save our discussion of that for, for, for the future. But <laughs> I just love that. Like, you, you can't really do that with CGI, you know, unfortunately. Like, I've seen, and I think both of us have seen these images of uh, behind the scenes where these, comp these actors are acting, and bless them, because they're doing a really hard job of acting with, like, a tennis ball or, like, someone in a green, a green suit just, like, bending down or something. So <laughs> it's not easy for them either. But I just think it's very cool that we got to see these real-life things that look so realistic and elicited these real life responses. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, to build upon what you were talking about, I think, yeah, there is definitely a difference between working with something that's actually there as opposed to something that's not. Mm -hmm. But I also think that's part of your job as an actor. Yeah. Is, you know, you're, you're supposed to have a certain amount of imagination to begin with. Mm -hmm. Like where, where more, I guess a better way to say it is where is your sense of imagination? If you're going to be put in a yeah. green screen room and you have to pretend there are things there, mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of what you were hired to do. And yeah. that's what it's all yeah. about, you know, because so, I mean, I, I don't feel too bad about actors who are quote unquote struggling to do it, but I mm. do understand that there is a struggle um, to get the correct reaction. Yeah. Because it's really yeah. hard to get the same thing that everyone's imagining in their heads. Oh, yeah. So I think that would be like the the more the more difficult thing as an actor and probably even a director to to mm -hmm. walk them through um stuff like yeah. that. But yeah. as far as um visual effects goes, yeah, if something's actually like right there in front of you, it's not that hard to to act <laughs> with it. It's mm -hmm. one of the reasons mm -hmm. why when we when we work on our on our films um a lot of times I'll I'll bring an actor to stand in front of you so that way you have someone to react off of. Yeah. And preferably yeah. the the actor who's supposed to be in that scene with you. Because mm -hmm. it's just easier mm -hmm. to do that. And not that I'm trying to make your job easier because as an actor you just kinda have to get what you get when you're mm -hmm. um when you're out someplace. Yeah. But um it's just I think it it, it calls for a better reaction, a more realistic reaction and possibly yeah. The reaction that you're going for if you actually have someone or something to mm -hmm. play off of. Yeah, very true. 
you you laughed at me <laughs> when when you found out that I used to be a, a pretend to be a dinosaur when I was a kid. Oh, I wasn't uh, laughing at you. I apologize <laughs> if I made it seem like I was making fun of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like imagining you and a bunch of like other kids in a sandbox, just like. <laughs> I, I I had the short arms and everything. Too. That's what I'm. Yeah. That's what I was laughing at. Just a bunch of little kids doing that. <laughs> like I understand exactly what's going on. <laughs> no, no, no. I was gonna say that I know for a fact that I'm not the only one who like did weird stuff as a kid because of this movie. So you had to bring that up, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I want to uh, level the playing field here. <laughs> Fair enough. So you want to tell us about some of the things that uh, it most impacted your childhood about? Yeah. Um. <laughs> The first time I watched this, I was too young to watch it in the theaters, and that was one of my biggest mm -hmm. regrets as a as an adult is never being able mm -hmm. to see it as a child in the theater. My first time watching it was at home with my mom, and mm -hmm. you're probably going to hear a lot of stories about my mom and I because I grew up an only child with a single mother. So yeah, like we were watching it on a small little square TV back in the '90s, and no surround <laughs> sound, no nothing, and. I've seen my mom watch a lot of scary movies. I've seen a scary movie, a particular scary movie before Jurassic Park that I kind of grew accustomed to that we'll talk about later. Yes. But my mom up and ran out of the bedroom <laughs> into the uh -huh. bathroom uh -huh. around the kitchen scene. I think it was around that time. Mm-hmm. She just left me alone <laughs> and just like took <laughs> off. I've never seen my mom run. Okay, I've never seen her, to this day, yeah. I've never seen her run that fast yeah. <laughs> or move that fast. She just, mm -hmm. she just like, took off. I, I didn't think yeah. much of it as a kid, but as an adult, I think about it a lot. <laughs> the whole time, I was okay because I was yeah. thinking, well, my mom's here, you know, and she's going to protect me. <laughs> Surely she'll come back. Yeah. No, like before, before she left, I was thinking, I'm fine. Oh yeah, you know yeah. he's like my mom's here. Nothing's gonna happen. This is my like, this is my person, my person who who protects me. It's my mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And then all of a sudden yeah. she wasn't there anymore. <laughs> okay, um, mm -hmm. I better do something. So <laughs> I took off with her, and I saw her like <laughs> yeah. she was she was frantic in the bathroom, going, "I've never been that scared before. That movie oh. is scary." <laughs> yeah. So that's that's uh -huh. my first um, memory of Jurassic Park. We didn't, oh. and then like, you know when we got out of the the bathroom, uh, <laughs> the raptors were attacking Rexy. So we were in there for quite some time. Oh wow, yeah, that's like five six minutes. <laughs> so, yep, my mom got the Mother of the Year award. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we close out, I. Uh, when this last episode came out, the Titanic one came out, it was really cool um, to see um, either fans or some people behind the scenes at Skysoft. It was fun to see just how close and real those connections were from Titanic to Fox and everything. Um, and I know this is another significant film in your life too, Jurassic Park. So are there any like notable or memorable moments <laughs> from Jurassic Park that can kind of be seen in one form or another in Fox or any of your shows? I don't think so particularly. Um, mm -hmm. There was a scene in season two that I had written um, after the, the kitchen scene with the raptors. And mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the part where 
fox and daisy are by their tree and then there these two mm. dream demons come in to try to find them and they're hiding behind mm-hmm. the tree the whole time now the problem <laughs> mm-hmm. with that is um <laughs> you know it just didn't work out because uh <laughs> Terrell, who was one of the dream demons that day, fell into the river. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, from that, up until that point, everybody kind of knew that we were supposed to build up tension and suspense, and this was supposed to be a serious scene. But unfortunately, <laughs> things took a turn. And I think it, turned, it took a turn for the, for the better, because yeah. now that's totally how, how like, dream demons are. That, that became the blueprint for every dream demon that we ever oh, met wow, afterwards, yeah. because they're all kind of these... <laughs> These um these dopes out there just mm-hmm. kind of like like ooh, just you know? bumbling around. <laughs> yeah, and so without um Terrell's uh, mishap, I don't think there would be a Joe Squad. Ah, there you go. See, well, <clears throat> that's unfortunately all the time we have for today. Thank you again for your time. As a reminder, this podcast is available on Apple, Stitcher. Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Just search for Skysoft and you'll find us there. (laughs) Please make sure to subscribe to us on those platforms so you never miss an episode and rate and review us. And of course, for all things Skysoft, including full episodes, cast and show info, and other updates, be sure to check out skysoftentertainment.com. Once again, that's skysoftentertainment.com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, this is Daniel. And I'm Monroe. Uh, sharing with you the films that changed our lives. Dun 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 dun.